Welcome to Public Procurement Post-Brexit, a new bite-sized podcast series that will look at the key parts of the procurement bill that's currently making its way through Parliament. We'll be highlighting the main changes between the existing public procurement regulations and the new bill, as well as considering the anticipated direction of travel of public procurement law. Today's episode will cover public procurement procedures. I'm Jen Clark, Principal Associate in the commercial team, and I'm joined today by my colleagues in our public procurement team, Amy Cook and Joel Murphy. So shall we jump straight in and discuss this? So since the introduction of the public procurement regulations in 2015, we've had four main procurement procedures, which flowed down from the European directive, the open, the restricted, the snappily named competitive procedure with negotiation, often referred to as negotiated procedure, and the competitive dialogue procedure. What's changing in terms of the procedures? Okay, well, we know that the bill provides two options now. So number one, a simple tender procedure, which is going to be known as the open procedure. And number two, any other competitive procedure that the procuring authority considers appropriate. So those two procedures will replace the four existing procedures. It's worth noting, actually, that in terms of the terminology used in the bill, there does seem to be a bit of a move away from using the kind of European style language overall in the bill. And that sort of shows in the naming of the procedures, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely the case. Um, so what do we know about what these procedures are going to look like so far? So the new open procedure is going to be a single stage tender procedure that will have no restriction on who can submit tenders. Yeah. And the other competitive procedure, that's going to be formulated however the contracting authority likes, as long as the procedure is proportionate, is a proportionate means of awarding that contract that's got to take into account the nature, complexity and cost of the contract. And that new competitive procedure is also going to allow the contracting authority to limit the number of participating suppliers. Now, that bit's not really a difference because it's something that's already allowed in some of the existing procedures. But it does appear to try and give greater flexibility, I think, as to how the process can be shaped. And this limiting of suppliers, that can be done generally in respect of particular tendering rounds by reducing the numbers per round through evaluation or other selection processes. And we'll actually cover the exclusion of suppliers in another podcast. In terms of similarities, for both procedures, the contracting authority still has to publish a tender notice to invite suppliers to submit tenders or to submit a request to participate in the procedure. Yeah, and then in terms of the differences, I thought a key difference between the two procedures really comes down to whether the contracting authority wants that ability to select who can submit a tender rather than accepting tenders without restriction. Why might the contracting authority want to restrict who can submit a tender? That's a good question. Um, Usually this would be done to make sure that the contracting authority gets bids from properly qualified, financially viable organisations so that the contracting authority has confidence that the contract can actually be delivered. Uh, It might also be done to ensure that contracting authority does not have to use up resources in evaluating multiple tenders as by sort of restricting the the process and the number of people who can submit. The number of tenders will go down and allow for a kind of a, a more efficient resource. Well, that makes sense. And I would expect that the more complex the contract, the more a contracting authority will be concerned about this. And so potential suppliers may have to satisfy conditions of participation. And I know those conditions can relate to the legal and financial capacity of the supplier to perform the contract or the technical ability to perform the contract. 
these are actually very similar to the existing parameters for selection criteria, but the build is not as prescriptive as the current public contracts regulations. So this does seem to offer contracting authorities more room for manoeuvre to come up with different conditions. For example, the public contract regulations contain the parameters about yearly turnover that a bidder may be required to meet, whereas under the bill, authorities can include conditions provided that they're able to justify it as proportionate to do so regarding the nature, complexity and cost of the contract. Yes, and while that's helpful for contracting authorities, suppliers may find themselves having to satisfy a wider range of criteria and provide a lot more information in order to progress in the procurement. Um, another interesting uh, difference in the new competitive procedure is that suppliers and contracting authorities need to be aware that one of the key aspects is instead of a kind of contract being awarded following a, a competitive procedure in accordance with the criteria, the most economically advantageous tender. The bill is now changing this to be simply the most advantageous tender. Yeah, I thought the practical effect of this could be that there's not the same driver to place financial impacts ahead of other that are maybe more important criteria for the contracting authority, things like ESG concerns. So this could actually be beneficial for a wider range of suppliers who've got different strengths to offer. As well, although price will be important and it's always important in public contracts, it might see suppliers not actually having to try to underbid all the time to win the contract where other criteria are of equal or more importance to the contracting authority. Yeah, okay. Um, there are other procedures and ways for awarding contracts in the public contracts regs. Um, can we easily see what's happened to those under the bill? The innovation partnership procedure has not been included in the procurement bill, but it was rarely used. So this is unlikely to have a huge impact on contracting authorities and suppliers. The dynamic purchasing system will still exist in similar form through the dynamic markets provisions in the bill. And the award of frameworks is going to continue though, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. The ability to award frameworks is still going to exist. Um, there will be a difference in the permitted term of the framework. So under the existing rules, frameworks have a four-year maximum term, but the bill provides an increased discretion to exceed that four-year maximum. So if the nature of what's going to be supplied means the longer terms required. So I think that gives like another form of flexibility to contracting authorities, and it could provide extra business to those suppliers on frameworks, though obviously on the flip side, um, it might restrict opportunities to those who've yet to gain a place on closed frameworks. I should also point out that there's still going to be the ability for contracting authorities to make direct award of contracts under, which we'll discuss in a later episode in this series. So practically, what can suppliers, potential bidders do to prepare for the changes in the procedures? Well, we're going to get advance warning of when the bill will essentially go live. So it'll be important to keep an eye out for any announcements and information about that and to get up to speed with changes. Uh, you can also follow this series, of course, to get an understanding of the key changes and what you might need to do to prepare. Yeah. So today we've covered three key changes, that there will be two procurement procedures rather than the four we currently have, possible differences between conditions of participation and changes to the award criteria. So there are going to be far fewer procedures to navigate through under the new regime, given we're no longer wedded to the requirements of the EU directive. This also does give contracting authorities an opportunity to examine what information and criteria is important to them when selecting a supplier and whether a move away from having to accept the most economically advantageous tender is going to have some added benefits or whether this will simply drive up the prices. 
So on that note, we've come to the end of today's podcast. So thank you, Amy, and thank you, Joel, and thank you for listening. This is part of a series of Shoesmith's podcasts on the Procurement Bill, so please do look out for new episodes on the website and social media. Thank you.